Heavenly Father, we come and we know that we are a people who are unclean. We know that we are a people who struggle in many different ways, that we have our pains and sufferings, we have our aches from the week that is before our worries and our anxieties. But Lord, our comfort in our suffering is this, your promise preserves our life. And so Lord, we thank you that you are a God who makes promises to your children, that you are a covenant-keeping God. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at your word this morning and we see your promises there, oh, Lord, we pray that they may give us an assurance, they may give us a delight, and they may help us to overcome the different struggles that we have and so that we have a peace in you because we know the Prince of Peace. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we're coming to the close of Amos's prophecies as we've come to chapter 9. It's the last chapter of Amos's little book. And we've been looking at Amos and the way that he has been telling the people in the land of Israel that they have sinned against God. And although the other nations are bad and deserve God's judgment, they too deserve God's judgment that their sins are not overlooked by the Lord because of their special relationship with God, but instead the Lord is keeping account of what they're doing. And he has warned them again and again that he would send judgment upon them. And chapter 9 opens with further judgment being displayed by the Lord upon the people of Israel. And we see that in verses 1 through to verse 4. Look with me now at verse 1 through to 4 of Amos chapter 9. Amos 9 where Amos continues his prophecies with these words from verse 1. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. No one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Here we see God is judging the Israelites once again, that he is going to destroy them. And it's such a thorough judgment that Amos is describing now. Did you see that again and again? Like he he says that he's going to strike the tops of the pillars in verse 1 so that the threshold shakes. So from top to bottom, everything will be shaken. He will bring people down. And then in verse 1 it says, none will get away, none will escape. And then there's these pictures that are given of how God will chase people no matter where they go. Verse 2, it says, if they dig down into the depths of the grave, there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, there I will bring, from there I will bring them down. They can go down into the grave, go down to Sheol, uh, is the literal, uh, Hebrew there. If they go down into the grave, he will get them. If they go up to the heavens, he will get them. And then it talks about them going up onto the mountains in verse 3. If they go up to the top of Carmel, I'll hunt them down and seize them. If they go to the bottom of the sea, even there I will catch them. I will send a snake to bite them. And even if they go out into exile and think they're safe because they're out of the land of God, they're out of the land of Israel, there I will command the sword to slay them. Here we see God promises judgment on the Israelites that is extremely thorough. There is no escape for the Israelites who have sinned against God and will not turn from their ways. And then God in verses 5 and 6 shows that he has the power to do this. 
that he's not making threats that he cannot fulfill. What does he say in verse 5? The Lord, the Lord Almighty, who touches the earth and it melts. And all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Who is threatening such a thorough judgment? Is the one who can melt the earth. He can touch the earth and it melts. It is the one whose name is the Lord. We see God flexing his muscles there. He's threatening them, saying, I will make sure that you all experience my judgment. And I have the power to do it because I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord Almighty. And then he speaks about how he has power over all nations in the following verses to show how he can bring about such a thorough judgment. He says in verse 7, Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor, the Arameans from Kir? He's showing there that he has control of the nations. He brought the Israelites up from Egypt. He brought the Philistines in. He brought the Arameans in. If he wants to seek you out. He can seek you out just as he sought out the other nations and brought them about. He is the one who's in charge of all nations, not just the land of Israel, but all nations. And so he will indeed destroy Jacob if he wants to. And we see that in verse 8. What does it say in verse 8? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But then what does it say in verse 8? Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Even as we have this dreadful picture given to us of God's judgment on Israel and how thorough it will be, in verse 8 we get this little ray of sunshine, this little ray of hope coming in. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. And then it goes on in verse 9 to depict what it's like when God exercises his judgment Verse 9, it says, For I will give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. God is going to shake the house of Israel among all the nations. He's going to shake everyone. And those who are murderers, those who are taking advantage of their fellow man, as we've seen again and again chronicled through Amos, that these sins are against God's holy law, that they're taking advantage of their fellow man, they will be destroyed. We see that in verse 10. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword, particularly those who are complacent, which we've seen the complacency of man before, that say disaster will not overtake or meet us. They think that they're going to be okay because they're so wealthy. says, no, you will be destroyed. But nonetheless, as they're shaken in a sieve, it says in verse 9, not a pebble will reach the ground. The word there, pebble, it seems unusual as it's talking about grain being shaken in a sieve. What's a rock suddenly doing in a sieve with grain? And what's, why are we wanting to keep the rock there? Uh, it could be, um, it is actually pebble. The, the word rock in Hebrew is there, a small rock. But it could be referring to small bits of hard grain. And so that's why some translations actually translate it in that way. But basically he's saying there that he will keep some things in the sieve. Some things will not fall through. Many will fall to the ground. He will cause many to die by the sword. 
but some will stay in that sieve and they will not reach the ground. They are the ones who are God's people. They will be preserved, just as it says in verse 8, that he will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. These people will remain in the sieve. They will be shaken around a lot as God shakes all the nations in his judgment, but some will remain in that sieve. And that is helpful for us to see because we know that God is shaking all the nations even today as well. God shakes the nations as in a sieve. And that includes God's people. Judgment has begun from the Lord now. How do we see that judgment has begun? Well, the suffering, the pain that's in the world, that's all part of God's judgment. That's all part of God shaking the sieve that we're all in. As we bounce around and are hurt in our bodies, in our minds, it's all part of God shaking the sieve. Because of the fall, because of what happened with Adam and Eve, judgment has come into this world. And so the world is not an enjoyable place to live in as it was for Adam and Eve in the garden. No, judgment has begun and we see that as we see the awful atrocities that are being done around the world and even in our own lives, the pain and the worries and the anxieties we experience, that's all part of the judgment of God upon sinful man. That's part of us being shaken in the sieve. But judgment has also come as the gospel comes out. It shakes people. It shakes people in a sieve as the gospel is heard, as people hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified and the call to be repentant and to trust in him. It causes people to shake. Some people shake in fear of what they've done against the living God and they fall to their knees in repentance. And so they're shaken by the judgment of God that comes out in the gospel. And there's other people who don't shake with repentance. They shake in anger as they hear the gospel message. It's terrible that this wonderful message of God's love for the world, that they are sinners, but God has provided a way for salvation. They shake in anger. They can quiver. They can get so upset about the gospel message. And that's part of the judgment of God coming upon them. As the judgment comes out that God has condemned the world, but he sent his son to die in their place, they quiver in rage. They're shaken by it. Some shake by shaking just simply their head. Say, no, I'm not interested. They may not quiver with rage, but they definitely shake their head. Or some shake their jaws in laughter as they hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified. They mock it instead of embracing it. So we are indeed being shaken today. All the nations of the earth are being shaken as we see pain coming to all nations of the earth. And as we see the gospel message going out to the ends of the earth, it's shaking people. But then there's a final shaking that is yet to come. A final shaking, a final judgment where everything in our lives will be shaken off and our souls will pass into another land and everything we hold dear will be removed from us. Our friends, our family, our jobs, our possessions, our bank accounts, our clothes even, and our bodies will be shaken off and our souls will pass naked from this world. That's the judgment of God. That's being shaken in a sieve. Everything is shaken off. And we saw in Mark 13, Jesus Christ describing that final judgment. And he uses similar illustrations in Matthew 13 as well to speak about the judgment of God coming upon sinful man. 
but also that God will not destroy everyone. And so I encourage you now to look with me at Matthew chapter 13, where we see Jesus providing other illustrations as to the final judgment of God, where everyone will be shaken. That's page 969 of your Black Church Bibles, page 969, and we'll read from verse 24. Reading from verse 24, where we see Jesus speaking about the final shaking that God inflicts upon the nations. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. What is Jesus going on about there? Well, he will explain. If we move over to verse 36, verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father." He who has ears, let him hear. Here we see another farming illustration of God's judgment where everybody will be shaken, but there will be a separation made of God's people from those who rebel against the living God. And there's another illustration even given in Matthew 13 of it as well. Verse 47. Jump with me down to verse 47 of Matthew 13. It says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Have you understood all these things? Do you understand that there is a final judgment? That God is going to throw everybody into a sieve and shake us. And those who follow him will be saved. They will remain in that sieve. But the wicked will fall through, just as bad fish are separated from the good fish in the net, or wheat is separated from weeds by the angels of God. Some won't survive that final shake. Do you realise that? And pass into hell and are shaken forever there. They're quivering souls in hell for all eternity, gnashing their teeth. Their jaws will shake for all eternity. But some will stay and remain. Those who are repentant, the true house of Jacob, the true house of Israel, 
those who repent of their sins, who hear the warning of the judgment of God and turn to him and trust in him. But you may ask, don't all deserve to fall to the ground as they are described in Amos chapter 9? Haven't we all sinned against God? Don't we all deserve to fall through the sieve as it is being shaken by God? How can some remain in the sieve when we're all as bad as each other? These are the people of God here who are being condemned, the Israelites. Shouldn't they all fall to the ground along with the rest of the nations? Well, there is a way for us to stay in the sieve, and that is if someone else was poured out of the sieve for our sake. Christ was shaken out of that sieve and fell to the ground so that some could stay in the sieve. For those who repent, they can remain. They will not be totally destroyed. A remnant will survive because Jesus Christ gave himself up and fell to the ground on our behalf. He fell to Sheol. He went to hell. He experienced hell at the cross for us so that some could remain in the sieve. Even though the shaking happens, and it is painful as we experience the pain and suffering in this world, as we experience the humiliation of hearing the word of God and seeing how far we fall short and come to him in repentance again and again, and it hurts to see how bad you actually are. And as we fear the judgment to come, we can have a peace even in the midst of all that shaking that's going on as God shakes all the nations, because we know that Christ was poured out. We should have all been tipped out like a bucket, like dirt out of a bucket, rather than held in a sieve. But because of Christ, God puts us all into a sieve, and then he separates those who trust in Christ from those who do not trust in Christ. And those who trust in Christ remain in that sieve, even though they deserve to be tipped out. They remain there because he was tipped out on their behalf. Christ was sifted for our sins so that we could be saved. Now you may be asking this morning, but how do I know that I will indeed be saved in that final shake, that final judgment that comes? Because... When we look at a sieve, sometimes things get through that aren't supposed to. I like eating peanuts. They are my go-to food these days. They're very good for a snack or even for a meal. If you want a small meal, you can have some peanuts. They're cheap as nuts, uh, and so they are very economical, plus you can eat them on the run. I really like them, but sometimes I get them and they're a bit, they have a bit too much salt with them. And so what do I do? I get out a sieve, and I pour the nuts into it, and I shake it, and let some of the salt fall through. But the trouble is, some of the bits of peanuts are quite small, and they fall through the sieve, and they fall into the sink and are eventually washed down with the rest of the salt as I'm shaking it. Now, how do we know that we won't fall through the cracks as well? When God judges this world, how do we know that even if we trust in Christ, that we won't fall through the cracks, that we won't be like one of my peanuts that fell through that wasn't supposed to, that was supposed to be, well, survived to be eaten by me, which uh, isn't probably the best of things for a peanut either. But how do we know that we won't be saved on that judgment day? Sometimes we feel like we're just small fry. Will we really be saved by the Almighty God? Will God himself be concerned about little people like us? 
I mean, most people in this world, do they actually care much about you? Are you a big shot in this world? Do many people know of you? Do many people care about you? Let alone the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, does he care about you? Will he make sure that you're not discarded with the weeds and burned in flames for all of eternity? After all, we see that that often happens in our judicial systems in this world, that the innocent are swept up with the wicked. I was reading recently a novel written by Arthur Conan Doyle. He's the author of Sherlock Holmes. I read all the Sherlock Holmes books and enjoyed them so much that I'm reading everything that Arthur Conan Doyle has written. And he wrote a historical novel about the rebellion of James Scott in 1685 against Charles II, King of England. And he wrote this novel about this rebellion. It's all written from the perspective of one of the rebels. And so you're really going for the rebels as you're reading the book. Uh, you're not going for the King James. And, uh, and they, well, I'll spoil the story for you, but it's history. Um, they lose, and King Charles uh, II wins. And what ends up happening is all the rebels are rounded up. And they're all executed. There's this notorious judge. I looked him up. He really is there in history, even though it was a novel that I was reading. It's a historical novel. And he just executed so many people. And peasants were caught up amongst the rebels. And he couldn't care less about witnesses that would come forward and say they weren't a rebel. Neighbours and friends that were saying, no, no, this person wasn't a rebel. He was just in the wrong area at the wrong time. And the judge doesn't care. He says death by hanging for them all. And we see this in our, in our world, particularly when governments are trying to be very thorough in making sure that justice is administered. The innocent are swept up with the wicked and executed. So how do we know that we won't be swept up in the judgment of God and executed, even though we have accepted God's promise that those who trust in him will be saved? Because look at, Christ, look at God's judgment described in Amos chapter 9 verses 1 through to 4, we saw the thoroughness of it. If there's ever a thorough government that went through and made sure that everybody was caught, it's God's judgment of the Israelites there that points to the judgment of the final day. It says if you go down into the depths of the grave, he'll pull you up. If you go up to the heavens, he will get you. If you go up onto mountains, if you go to the sea, he will get you. Very, very thorough judgment. If you go into exile, he will get you. So how do you know that you won't fall through the sieve and hit the ground for all of eternity. Well, the only way we know is because God has promised that not even a pebble will hit the ground. That's there in verse 9. What did it say in verse 9? For I will give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. Maybe it's a difficult word to translate there because it's indicating such a small thing, not a single little piece of grain or the smallest rock that God wants to preserve. It will hit the ground. God promises that he will judge with a perfect justice. He will be thorough, but it will also make sure that those who are his are not lost with those who do not belong to him. I love when Abraham is debating with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's this long chapter in Genesis chapter 18 where he's going back and forth with the Lord and asking for preservation of Sodom. And he says to God in chapter 18, verse 25, 
Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer is yes. The judge of all the earth will do right. God knows who belongs to him. God knows those who are his. And he will not let a child of God go into hell. Just as he will not let a child of Satan go into heaven, he will not let a child that belongs to him go to hell by mistake. Far be it from the judge of the earth to do wrong, to commit injustice. I said before, that at the final judgment, God will shake off everything. He'll shake off your friends, he'll shake off your family, he'll shake off your possessions, he'll shake off your, your employment, your bank account, your body, the clothes on your back. You'll leave this world naked. But there's one thing he won't shake off. And what is that? It's the love of Christ. We see that in Romans chapter 8, one of my favourite passages that I read at least once a year to you. Romans chapter 8, look with me now at page 1119. Page 1119. If you are concerned that you'll be shaken off into hell despite your love for God, despite your trust in him, then look at Romans 8, 28 and following. Page 1119. I'll read from verse 28 where we see the Apostle Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are being called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you understand that? Who's the judge? It's Christ Jesus. On judgment day, when you see the judge, he's actually your friend and he's actually interceding for you. You don't need any family or friends to stand up on judgment day and say, oh, yes, yes, he was a Christian. He had faith in Jesus Christ. Don't send that person to hell. Jesus will be there doing that. You don't have to worry that you'll fall through the sieve and hit the ground. And then Paul goes on, verse 35, with these marvellous words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All things that are judgments of God upon sinful man. All those things described there. Shall any of those things separate us from God? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't get separated out of the sieve. You can't fall to the ground. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and thinking you're pretty insignificant, which when we face 
ourselves, when we really look at ourselves in the mirror, we're all very, very insignificant. You may think you may be small in stature, that you're too small and maybe God will overlook you because you're just a child in this world. You may think you're too small because of your education, your bank account. No one really pays much attention to you in this world. They would if you had more in the bank, but you think you're too small. And so will God overlook me? Or you may think your group of family and friends are too small. And so will you miss out on Judgment Day because there'll be no one to rally around you? Or you may think that your faith is too small, that you're just a fragile believer in Jesus. Yes, you trust Jesus, paid for your sins, but, oh, you see your weaknesses all over the place. You see how small your faith is and how great your sin is. And you think, oh, on Judgment Day... I could easily fall through that sieve. My faith is so small. What does Amos say? What does the Lord say through Amos? Not a pebble will reach the ground. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which are very small, I actually looked them up once, how small a mustard seed actually is. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you won't hit the ground. Christ hit the ground for you. He was tipped out on your behalf. And wonderfully, he rose back up from the ground. He's the only one that could do that. But you get to stay in the sieve because your faith, even though it's very small, will make sure that you're saved. And you may ask, why would God care about pebbles like us? Insignificant people here in this room. Why would he care? Well, I cannot tell why God would care about the pebbles. But this I know, he does, because his word says so. Here in his word, he says, not a pebble will hit the ground. And so we have no reason to fear, to doubt, that on judgment day we will fall through the sieve with the many wicked people who will, because we know we have trust in Christ, and through Christ we will be saved. Let's speak with our God now. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do shake this earth, that you do not, did not leave it to continue to transgress against yourself, and you've shaken us out of our complacency in this room about our sin. We thank you for this, and we thank you for pouring out Christ's blood so that we wouldn't be poured out into hell. We all deserve to be poured straight there, but instead Christ was poured out on our behalf so that we could be saved. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you, even when we have doubts and worries that we will be forgotten by you. As we look around this world and we see how little people pay attention to us and we start to fear that how little you would pay attention to us when you're so marvellous, you're so high and we are so low, why would you lift us up out of a sieve and protect us for all eternity? Lord, we pray that we would look to Christ and see what he gave up for us And we would know that our faith, even though it may be small, is enough and that you never let any pebbles hit the ground because Christ went there for us instead. And we pray this in his name. Amen.